Welcome from the Texas Gulf Coast, from Cahoots, Texas. This is the ABI 1.0 podcast. I'm Terry Thompson, your host, narrator, and jack of all trades around here. Uh, this episode, uh, I was going to be real fancy and call it something like food for thought or future food for thought, and it, everything just sounded cliche and you know, lame. So I'm just uh, going to simply call it uh, Season 2, Episode 2. Food, what are we going to do? Oh, that sounds pretty good. By 2050, the global population is expected to hit 10 billion people. This means that to feed everyone, it will take 56% more food than is produced in the world today. And this is according to the UN. All right, well, how is man going to feed himself in the future? We're going to investigate uh, where we might go to find food when I get back. They're making our food out of people. Next thing they'll be breeding us like cattle for food. You gotta tell them. You gotta tell them. Promise, Tiger. I promise. I'll tell the exchange. You tell everybody. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell them. Silent breed is people. We gotta stop them somehow. You're listening to the ABI 1.0 podcast. Podcasting from Cahoots, Texas. Wow, think about that. 10 billion people. How are we going to feed all these people? You know, it's, it's not like we they're going to be unexpected dinner guests. We know it's going to happen. We project it. You know, we have a little bit of time to work on it, but when I say little bit, 2050, that's not very far away. And uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, we might have to get used to terms like, well, for instance, lab-grown meat. That's a given. 3D printed living food. Edible water bottles. We'll find out what that's about. Sonic enhanced food. A DNA-based diet. And something that caught my eye the other day. Chewable coffee. Now, I've had some coffee like that in the past, but it wasn't intentional, and I worked graveyard shift at the time. So, uh, well, we'll find out where we can go, and we'll follow a few paths and see where that leads. Oh, it's very slimy. We're literally standing on the food of the future (laughs) right now. This is the foundation of the next generation of farming and food. By 2050, the world's population will hit almost 10 billion. It's going to take up to a 70% increase in food production to feed those 2.5 billion extra mouths. To survive, we need to reinvent the way we farm and eat. There's a few people in the middle of the New Mexican desert who believe they have a tiny green protein-rich solution, algae. Why does it smell like the ocean here in the middle of the desert? It's the salty water that we use. The strain of algae that we grow has been isolated from the northern Atlantic Ocean, so we try to make it as close to the ocean as we can. Well, it certainly smells like it. (laughs) This algae is called nanochloropsis. 
Unlike most crops, it doesn't require fresh water to flourish. That's a big deal. Today, 70% of the planet's available fresh water goes towards crops and raising livestock. The beauty of our harvesting system is that we're able to recycle 95 to 97% of our water crystal clear and just keep using it over and over and over again. Water efficiency like that means you can farm algae in a desert. Why have your farm here? There's land as far as the eye can see that's not being used for anything else. Uh, we're on top of a salty water aquifer, which is what our algae needs. And when it comes to solving this potential food shortage, land matters. About 37% of the land on this planet is dedicated to agriculture. As farmland grows scarce, algae offers an alternative. Many more harvests, no fertile soil required. One of the interesting things about algae that leads to the much more higher yield than traditional crops is actually that we do this year round. With corn, you plant once, you harvest once. Right. But this stuff, we might harvest a single pond as much as two or three times a week. Despite all these qualities that make algae such an attractive crop, it's algae's value as food that's most remarkable. Iwi says this strain is about 40% protein and contains all of the essential amino acids humans need. This is the final product from the farm. This is your green gold right here. Yes, ma'am. Meat has those nutrients too, but it uses up a lot more of our finite resources like water and land, not just for the animals, but to grow their food too. As for other plant proteins, some estimates say that algae can produce seven times the amount of protein that soybeans could on the same amount of land. Yeah, this is salty. This is salty. I can't believe I just did that, but it was... <laughs> the thing about food, though, people have to eat it. Hello, Rachel. Miguel Calatayud is the CEO of Iwi. It's his job to convince the world that pond scum should be on the menu. People think of algae and they go, ugh, they don't go, yum. The protein we are producing is not going to be green, it's not going to change the flavor, it's not going to be any different from what they are used to. This is the success. When people see algae as another vegetable. So different than broccoli. Not different at all. Algae is one of the most productive vegetables that you can find in Earth. And at the same time, is one of the most sustainable ones. We are not bringing algae as an alternative. This is in addition to conventional crops. Miguel and Rebecca aren't the first people to recognize the unique power of this tiny marine plant. People have been working on algae since at least the early 50s, trying to figure out how to do what it is that we're doing. And most of them have been unsuccessful. In the early 2000s, algae was championed as an excellent source of biofuel. But the prohibitively high cost of harvesting and processing made the biofuel boom go bust. Iwi is staking its future on a different approach, that in order for algae to scale, growing it has to be as easy as growing any other crop. We talk about it as farming on purpose because we want to break the paradigm that algae is industrial microbiology, that it's biotech, but that's not what we're doing. The first step towards algae a la carte, supplements. Today, Iwi is packaging this algae into omega-3 soft gels. It's a market valued at more than $33 billion. But you don't save the world with supplements and smoothies. Iwi has much bigger goals. They want their algae's protein infused in everyday foods. 
So this cookie here, it's just kind of like an enhanced cookie in that it'll have more protein in yes. it. Yes. So this is, I would like you to yeah, try it. Yeah, this is yeah. a regular you cookie. Back to the cookie. I'm ready to eat it the looks cookie. And it just has omega-3, omega-6, omega-7, and a significant amount of protein. Uh -huh. But it tastes pretty good. Go okay. ahead. Tastes like a normal, like a sugar cookie. Yeah. I've been in the food business for 20 years, and that is a key success. The product needs to be healthy, but it needs to taste Tastes good. good. This is the beginning, one step at a time. Algae for dinner is a long shot, but the powerful potential of this tiny super crop can't be ignored. Well, now, you know, I agree with that. Algae would be a great alternative. I mean, plus uh, the sheer volume that they could grow it at. And if you think to yourself, well, I'll never try algae. If you eat ice cream, you already have. If you, if you eat store-bought ice cream, you already have. But um, algae's one thing. I'm a meat eater, though. I want my steak. I want my cheeseburger. Oh, what's the alternative there? This year, the center of the holiday table, be it a Thanksgiving turkey or a Christmas ham, is going to cost more. The short-term cause, supply chain issues. The long-term, our demand for meat is outpacing production. The United Nations estimates that global meat consumption will go up by 14% in the next decade alone. And scientists say we may not have the land or the water to raise meat for everyone. And that's why this could be the ranch of the future. It's a company called Upside that can grow vast amounts of meat from a tiny thimbleful of real animal cells. I would think coming in here that this is fake meat, but you take exception to that. 100%. And I, I completely understand why you said it, because a product like this has never been on the market before. And humans, as humans, we, we have always said meat is equal to a slaughtered animal. Uma Valetti was a cardiologist trying to regrow heart tissue for patients with cardiac trouble when he realized the same technique could grow all sorts of meat. He found investors, and this lab in Emeryville, California, is the result. So what is wrong with chicken and poultry as we eat it now off a farm? The great thing about it is everybody loves it, right? But we don't have space to grow that many animals. And to grow that many animals, you need to be putting them in intensely difficult conditions to grow. And that creates the risk of things like pandemics or zoonotic diseases or, you know, health concerns. And lab-grown meat is, well, a lot faster. It takes two years for a cow to be raised and go to slaughter as a young beef cattle. About a year for a pig and three months for a chicken. We can grow meat in two weeks to be able to say cows, chickens, pigs, ducks, turkeys, fish, they can all be grown in a two-week period. And to do that, they use the greatest hits of the protein. There's so many possibilities of what we can do, right. because you're picking the best quality cells for the taste that you're looking for, and you're putting them together and growing only those cells. So the options are unlimited. But for cultivated meat to make a dent in the global market, first, they have to convince carnivores everywhere that this really is meat. We don't expect um, everybody to fall in love with it right away. 
but I think there is just enough people that will fall in love with it to start giving it a foothold in the universe of food. They'll also need federal approval, which is still pending, and the same inspection process all meat undergoes. I signed a waiver for eating something experimental, and the company brought out its food scientist to make me some chicken. Once it hit the pan, it caramelized like chicken does. It smelled like chicken does. I see you with your fancy sauces, but I'm going to try and get just at the chicken Please. here. <laughs> oh, wow. So you can taste the Maillard reaction. You can taste the burnt sugars of the outside. Yeah, sure. It's quite tender for a, wow. a, what's supposed to be sort of a chicken breast. Yeah, and that base note of the after effect, yeah. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know if I bought this in the store and didn't read the fine print. I would totally just go, oh, yeah, that thing had feathers once. <laughs> Jake Ward, NBC News. What's this stuff? Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. We here at the ABI 1.0 podcast enjoy hearing from our listeners, be it through email or voicemail. If you feel like that you have a comment or just a question or just want to get involved, uh, be it through a particular episode or just overall, drop us a line, leave us a message. If it's good enough, we'll use it in an upcoming podcast. <laughs> That's cool. Lab-grown meat, eh? Well, hmm. I don't know. Uh, I guess fake steak, uh, if, if it's truly fake steak. Well, I, I don't know. If I was blindfolded and did and couldn't see, I, I'll give it a shot someday. You know, I I won't prejudge. Uh, however, there's got to be another source of protein for this world that we're overlooking. Uh, something that, well, I don't know, it really bugs me. Every resort town in the U.S. has a candy store, but one store in Pismo Beach, California, goes beyond the usual taffy and caramel apples. If Hotlicks has its way, Americans will be snacking on everything from caterpillars and cockroaches to mealworm-covered apples. Larry Peterman is a candy man on a mission. For more than a decade, he's been promoting a valuable food source that most Americans find revolting. In a land of plenty, people resist. Larry knows why. From an early age, parents teach children to avoid insects. In our culture, from the time that we're really small, uh, we're taught to avoid insects. Uh, they might bite you like a mosquito or swat them. This got a good cricket in it. But kids aren't the only ones munching on bugs. Around the world, more than 1,400 insect species show up on menus. Insect eating, or entomophagy, is part of healthy diets in Asia, Africa, Australia, and Latin America. This trend is anything but new. Archaeologists have found evidence of it dating to the earliest humans. 
Advocates of insect eating like to note that it's environmentally sound. Producing a pound of caterpillar takes a tenth of the resources needed to produce a pound of beef. And insects brim with vitamins and minerals. But despite all the benefits, most Americans can't stomach bugs. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Have a seat. Have a Unlike Larry Peterman, yeah. who celebrates them at his dinner oh, party. The evening begins with Larry's version of the classic shrimp cocktail. We just finished preparing a cricket cocktail. It's a lot like a shrimp cocktail, only instead of shrimp, we use crickets. Okay, folks, here's the first course. Now enjoy. While you're enjoying this, I'm going down and get your next course. The main course is a stir fry, a special garnish. Here we go. Dinner is served. Yeah. Here we go. Ready? Okay. Uno, dos, tres, go. Several courses later, Larry presents his piece de resistance. Okay, here it is, folks. Uh, what you've been waiting for? This. Oh. <laughs> now, don't let anybody dive in until everyone's been served, please. We call them a Pismo surfer. What it is is a banana with whipped cream and a really good cockroach on there. You don't have to eat the wings, you don't have to eat the head, unless you want to. Do you know, do you know where this cockroach has been? Probably <laughs> <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do another one next week if you like. Larry predicts he'll eventually win people over. As we become more and more insect food oriented, our tastes are gonna change. And so I see uh, a niche for somebody that, that does gourmet insects. Could have some snob appeal, like people taste wine, so mm, this is good, this bug is good. Well, we're definitely going to need something to wash the bugsicles down. <laughs> Got a feeler stuck between my teeth here. Uh, hey, what about making the water bottles edible? I, I mentioned that before, right? Well, hey. As runners in London Marathon found something a little bit different with their water. Yeah, instead of getting the water in a paper cup or in a plastic bottle, runners received a biodegradable capsule Ooh. filled with water. Now they're called Uhos, Ohos, something along something those lines. Like that. Yeah, well, here it is. You can either rip it open and drink the water inside, or you can just eat the whole thing. So, ojo, uh, it's a membrane made of seaweed that is biodegradable, so it's, but even it's edible, so you can just poop it in your mouth and it's going to disappear. Cheers. Cheers. There, there you have it. The creators say they are better for the environment than cups or bottles. Now, it's estimated that a plastic bottle takes about 400 years to decompose, while it takes an ojo only six weeks. That is, if you don't eat it. I was going to say, so what happens when you eat it? It's six just sitting a little faster. Hopefully, well. Now that makes a lot of sense. I mean, water pods, uh, edible water bottles, oohoos or ohos, whatever you want to call them. If you've ever had to deal with the plastic water bottle, which there are 
tons and tons of in this world. I mean, they, they're starting to form their own land masses out in the Pacific and other places. Well, that, that just makes a lot of sense. Uh, as far as the food goes, there is speculation that we can fine-tune our diets based upon our DNA. Get exactly what we want and forget about the superfluous. Let's go there. It's in our DNA. Our body can tell us what food it needs and what to avoid. And now there's a test. Yeah, you can take it at your doctor's office. There's even an at-home version. ABC 15's Faith Frederick shows us how it works and what experts say you should watch for. Smiling on the outside, dying on the inside. Jenny McGarry was overweight and at 48 years old, she was already a stroke survivor. I literally felt like my spirit was trying to leave my body. I was on the golf course, on the cart, and all of a sudden I couldn't feel my arms and I just felt myself going down. Butter may not seem like the best remedy. Oh, I use a lot of butter. But it doesn't bother Jenny's doctor, Courtney Hunt. Up until now, medicine was uh, practice on evidence-based medicine, meaning looking at studies and looking at the bell curve and seeing where people fit in the bell curve. But you and I may not be at the same place in the bell curve. Using a combination of genetic testing and traditional medicine, one of the things Dr. Hunt discovered was that Jenny's body couldn't tolerate the histamines found in many of the otherwise healthy foods in her fridge. We can see the chemistry by looking at the DNA. Commercial companies like Habit are now offering an at-home version of genetic testing. When combined with blood work and metabolism testing, it offers the promise of a diet designed uniquely for you. Different than a fad diet or a, you know, a book you'll pull off the best-selling list, this is really a story about you. And so we're, what we're finding is that people actually have a higher likelihood of adopting these uh, recommendations because it really is about them. At TGen, the Translational Genomics Research Institute, Dr. Joanna DeStefano is skeptical that any diet program that doesn't do as much additional testing as Dr. Hunt or Habit and relies solely on DNA would work. I'm a scientist. <laughs> We're supposed to be skeptical. Um, no, the science isn't there yet for genetics. Your weight is more complicated than what's in your DNA, she says. And while genetic testing shows promise on the medical front, she says using only your genes to craft a diet plan is a recipe for losing your money. Faye Fredericks, ABC 15, Arizona. And this next thing, this next report, uh, I've heard about it, uh, but let's just say here at ABI, 1.0 we we try to keep an open mind so i'll i'll hear them out new product called go cubes which has turned your favorite cold brew coffee into chewable coffee cubes now what they say is that two cubes and dr ash and i know you're addicted to coffee is about equivalent to one cup of coffee those are ginormous look at that brown sugar Look how big a cube is. That'll get your motor running. I guess yeah, it's, one of those. so it's 35 calories per stick. It's got 50 milligrams of caffeine. Thank you. There's pure drip, mocha, and latte flavors. Oh, gonna These, hurt yourself with this. Did you pop one? Yes, I popped one. He's I'm ready to do some jumping jacks. 
I mean, it tastes like it tastes like coffee. We do have three audience members who volunteered to put this to the test. You know, all of them have been screened. This is okay and appropriate. We're gonna check back a little bit later. Earlier in the show, three volunteers in the audience took on a chewable coffee product, and I want to ask you all. So, Heidi, what was your? Thoughts? I can't sit still. Really? I'm like ready to get up and start dancing. Well, come really? on. <laughs> um, I wouldn't eat them again. No, I feel like I've had like a whole pot of coffee. Yeah. Which, that's, which, that's which is interesting after. because the amount of caffeine, if it were 50 milligrams, 100 milligrams, yeah. is very close to a, a cup of coffee. So that's interesting. Wow. Michael, how about you? Too much sugar. I feel like if I drink a cup of coffee, a little energized. So about the same. And then I would add. You want to dance with her? <laughs> the best part about this whole experiment is the part all of you didn't see, and that was Jacqueline nibbling on one, and you hated it. I hated it. It's yeah. not coffee. So I'm going to stick with my opinion on a lot of these caffeinated products. you got to be careful. We, we put caffeine oh, yeah. in everything nowadays, and just be aware of how much caffeine you're imbibing. Oh! You are listening to ABI 1.0 Podcast, a podcast for the curious. Here at ABI 1.0, we appreciate hearing from our listeners, each and every one of you. If you got a moment send us an email. If you got a little bit more than a moment, send us a voicemail. If it's good enough, we'll use it on an upcoming podcast. Hey, remember the replicators on Star Trek where you could just order up anything and and there it is? Well, uh, it sounds like we're at the beginnings of uh, something of that nature, and I'm talking 3D printed food. A juicy sizzling steak made by computer. While obtaining regular meat is a process that's been taking place for millennia, cow, butcher, beef, Redefine Meat, a meat alternative startup out of Israel, makes their product using a highly technical process. The mix of soy and pea protein, chickpeas, beetroot, nutritional yeast, and coconut fat is formed into steak-like shapes using a 3D printer. Our goal is to become the largest meat company in the world just by harnessing technology instead of animals. Substitutes are not new, but unlike the soy-based crumbles that mimic ground beef, Redefine Meat's product is designed to act, taste, and cut like flank steak. This is the holy grail of alternative meat. But the most important part, how does it taste? This diner was happy. The texture uh, feels right, even the smell smells like the real thing. Really authentic for meat, revolutionary. Well, we came out to this swanky new high-tech restaurant that just all of a sudden appeared outside of Cahoots, and Cahoots being so small, what a coincidence. We're going to try some of those menu items that we talked about on this episode, uh, this episode about food and how we're going to feed people in the future. I hope you gained some insight from it. I did. But for now, we're going to bid adieu. This is Terry Thompson, your host, 
This is ABI 1.0. My dog, Bud, who they did not allow in the restaurant, he doesn't own a necktie. And the rooster, Bubba, who was afraid to come in. But given the nature of the restaurant, I don't think he had anything to worry about. Uh, Waiter, yeah, I want to try some of your sonically enhanced 3D printed filet mignon, algae asparagus, a side order of fried cricket, a grasshopper roll, and for dessert, this looks pretty good, a grubworm sundae with sprinkles of cockroaches. <laughs> and uh, I, when I came in, I was handed a drink. I don't know what it is, but it's pretty good. Could you tell me what it is and maybe bring me some more from the bar? Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Yes, relatively simple alcohol molecules with traces of fusel oil. Would 60 gallons be sufficient? Yummy, yummy, yummy. We here at the ABI 1.0 podcast enjoy hearing from our listeners be it through email or voicemail. If you feel like that you have a comment or just a question or just want to get involved, uh, be it through a particular episode or just overall, drop us a line. Leave us a message. If it's good enough, we'll use it in an upcoming podcast. (laughs) That's cool.